when I was in high school, I got introduced to worlds that I had been insulated from. Our family switched churches when we were in junior high. And this new church that we started going to had something called a youth director. And I tell you, one of the things that Roger Twito did a great job of, my youth pastor, he was very intentional about this. He was very intentional about bringing us teenagers to places where we would be exposed to things that really would open our eyes to real needs all around us. For example, he introduced us to a woman named Mary Jo Copeland. Maybe some of you know her. Um, she has a remarkable ministry for decades to people who are experiencing homelessness right here in the Twin Cities. Not long after that, he introduced us to several ministries, ministries like Bonito Orphanage and Casas por Cristo and Emmanuel Children's Home, ministries that were serving and still are today, serving under-resourced people, resourced people in Juarez, Mexico. And he was so strategic in doing this because he was making these introductions in our lives at a time when so many of us were starting to really question what is authentic Christianity about? And is this something that we really want to make real in our own lives? Do we want to become followers of Jesus? Do we want to follow in the way that many of us have been raised? Or or do we turn away from this? He introduced us right at that time. And it was experiences like those, for me anyway, they tipped the scales in the right direction, especially those trips to Juarez. It was there that for the first time that I saw with my own eyes, I saw needs that I had never seen firsthand before, and it was on a massive scale, massive scale. But I didn't just see those needs. He introduced us to people who were on the front lines of addressing those needs, people that the rest of the world had abandoned. Here were these followers of Jesus pouring out their lives for these these folks who couldn't pay them back, at least not with, with money or goods. Well, this Lent, what we're doing is we're going through a teaching series that we're calling After Yes. After Yes. If you say yes to receiving Jesus of Nazareth as Savior and Lord, all right, now what does it look like? What does after yes look like? What does it look like now to say, okay, I'm a follower of him. How do I reorder my entire life around his example and his teaching? Well, one of the essentials, and it's essential, if you desire to be a follower of Jesus is to reach out to others who are lost and hurting in Jesus' name. That's a huge part of what this is about. Well, the um, this book here, I want to show you a, a book. In 2009, there was a book that came out called The Hole in Our Gospel. And Richard Stearns is the author. He did an exceptional job of pointing out that for a lot of people who identify as a, as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, there's a hole missing in our gospel. And that hole is really reaching out to those who are lost and hurting in Jesus' name. You know, he's, he's one of many who articulate well that you can't say yes to Jesus and then say no to the cries of people who are in need, at least not all of them. And all you need to do on this is, is not to read his book, but open the Bible and, and see for yourself. Go to Amos 5. Go to Isaiah 58. Go to Matthew 25. Go to James 2. Pretty much open to almost any section of the Bible. And you're going to see there that there is this heart that God has for this world that is broken and hurting, and he's calling us to be part of that solution. Well, if you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. If you've been born again, seeing and responding to brokenness, it's in our DNA. As our DNA is rewritten, as as, as the presence of God comes into our lives in John chapter 3, 
we, we see that Jesus himself uses the imagery of being born again. Born again. And we're given new eyes that are open to the needs around us. We're given new hearts that care about the things that matter to him. Consider these words. This is from 1 John 3, chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes their heart against them, how does God's love abide in them? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in what? What does the word say? But in deed and in truth. Not just words and talk, deed and in truth. And the gospels are filled with these beautiful stories of Jesus seeing people. Seeing people that other people don't see. Seeing them and responding to needs. Practical, tangible needs. And I want to say this. This is one of the places where God and our culture agree. This what we're talking about right now. God and our culture agree that if you identify as a follower of Jesus, this is one of the things that he did. He reached out to people. So this is an area where we can hit that intersection. And here's the thing, for for many of us, maybe most of us, our hearts are there. We want to help, we want to honor God, and we want to be a good witness. But for a lot of us, where do you start? Where do you start? Most of us don't have a whole lot of extra time. Most of us don't have a whole lot of extra money. And we want to make an impact. But here's what we don't want. And I invite you to write this down. What I don't think anybody wants, no one wants their efforts to be wasted. How many of you here with a show of hands do not want your efforts to be wasted? If you're going to invest your time, if you're going to invest your money, which most of us don't have a lot of extra laying around, we don't want it to be wasted. Right around the time that we were launching ECC, I took a team to Haiti. Haiti is one of the poorest nations in our hemisphere. And all of the major charities were there. All of them were there. And our team, we visited a large number of these different different um, charities. And at almost every site we visited, somebody had a story. Someone had a story about how people who have got good intentions were making things worse in Haiti. For example, we heard all kinds of stories about all the free food that was being delivered in Haiti. And they were saying, what what does this do to the local farmers? What does this do to, to merchants? How do you compete with free when you're trying to, to make a living? There are countless stories like that, and there's countless stories like that everywhere. One World Bank study that I saw a few world few uh, years back found that 85%, 85% of the aid money flowing into African countries never reached the targeted area of need. 85% ended up someplace other than where it was intended to go. If you don't want your time, you don't want your money to be wasted, here's something that I think is worth writing down. It's a question. How do we make a lasting impact in Jesus' name? There's all these needs. They are real. Some of them are extremely severe. How do we make a lasting impact in Jesus' name? Well, one of the resources that does a really good job um, addressing this, one that many of us can recommend, is a book called When Helping Hurts. If you've never read this one, I highly encourage you to get a copy of this when helping her. It's a great, great book. So if you'd like to take a deeper dive into what we're talking about today, that first book I recommended, Hole in the Gospel, does a great job of of inspiring us to go and make a difference. The one I just recommended, When Helping Hurts, that one does a great job of explaining how do you do this in a way that doesn't foster dependency, 
in a way that doesn't foster entitlement, in a way that really makes a difference. Well, one of the common themes you're going to find in the scriptures and both of those books is this. Here's a great quote. There is no simple or immediate way to discern the right response without a what? Without a relationship. If you want to try to respond in a helpful way, there's really no way to do that without a relationship. If you want to make a lasting impact in Jesus' name, we invite you to do more than simply make a donation. We invite you to take a next step in a very specific direction. And that's what we've been trying to do over the course of this series. If you go to our website, if you're watching from uh, YouTube, we, if you want to just click over, go to our website and find this message. On there, there's a download that you can also click. It's got the message notes for today, but it also has this insert attached to those message notes. At the bottom, you're going to find what we call our discipleship continuums. We've done the best job we can in this series to identify what are the essentials of following Jesus and how can we put milestones on a journey that can help us say, are we heading in the right direction? So that's that's a tool that we, we hope, hopefully you'll find it to be helpful. Well, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to zero in on one of those continuums, and that is the reach out continuum. The reach out continuum. Let me give you a 30-second overview of it, and then what we're going to do is we're going to open our Bibles together, and you're going to get a chance to see a great example of this in action. Somebody who's living this out, and you can see how this, this all works. So here's the quick overview. Don't worry if you don't have time to write all these down right now. I'm going to give them really fast. But what we're going to do is when we go through that example, we'll be taking these one at a time. So if you don't get them all written down right now, uh, don't worry. You'll be get a chance to do that. So here's the flyover. Here are the, these next steps that are linked to each of these milestones on the continuum. For example, if you're at this spot that we call insulated, you're insulated from these knees, needs. Your next step is to choose a high-stakes cause. If you're introduced now to these needs, your next step is to partner with people who share your passion. Once you've engaged in this work, we encourage you to adopt a learning posture. And then to become effective in this area, we strongly encourage you, focus on serving, focus on empowering. And then when you start to see results, you're going to want to become an advocate. And the key, I would say, to advocate is to inspire because guilt is a low-octane fuel. All right, so here we go. I mentioned we were going to look at an example in the Bible where you can see this in action. If you have your Bible with you, we invite you to turn with uh, us right now to Nehemiah chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible at home, there is an outstanding free Bible app you can go to, Bible.com. Download that app. It's really, really good. All right, here's the backstory for this section of Scripture. This is stuff we can actually put on a timeline. In the year 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquered the city of Jerusalem, and he took many of the Jews into captivity. Then, in 539 B.C., King Cyrus of Persia overthrew the Babylonian king, and he issued a decree that now the Jewish exiles could return home. This account that we're going to look at right now, again, it's on the timeline. It picks up about 100 years later. There's a king now named Artaxerxes, and there's a man named Nehemiah. He's going to be speaking here in first person. He is serving in that king's court. Well, one day, Nehemiah's brothers returned from Jerusalem. They had been to Jerusalem. They'd seen the situation there, and here's where the account picks up. We're going to look at verse uh, chapter 1. We're going to go verses 2 and 3. Again, this is Nehemiah speaking in the first person. He says, I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived exile, concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, 
The remnant is there in the in the province who had survived the exile. They're in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah, he's insulated. He's a hundred miles or more from, or in fact, I think he's hundreds, hundreds of miles away from all where this is taking place. And his brother introduces Nehemiah to what's going on in Jerusalem, where, where the walls are just destroyed, the gates are burned down, and the people are, are in danger. And this wrecked him, wrecked Nehemiah, because this was a cause that really mattered. And if you spend enough time with us, one of the things you'll probably hear us say at one time or another or multiple times is that none of us can do everything. None of us. None of us can do everything. But we're also going to say this. Everyone, if you're a follower of Jesus, should have a substantive something. We can't do everything. But everybody should have a substantive something. Now, you may also have time for non-substantive somethings. That's fine. That's fine. But in a world where women are being abused in a world where kids are being trafficked, when there are types of blindness that can be cured, when clean water could be accessed to people that don't have it, when the equivalent of a sewing machine or a couple chickens or access to a school can change the entire trajectory of generations, don't just settle for a non-substantive something. If you got time, fine, but find also a substantive something. In a world where life is short and resources are limited, I want to challenge all of us. Choose a cause that has got significance to it that we can invest in. And now before you dive into one of those, let's not miss what Nehemiah did. Take a look at this. Nehemiah, this is what he does next. This is in verse 4. In fact, the very next verse. He hears about this situation. It wrecks him. And here's where he goes. As soon as I heard these words... I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and what? Praying before the God of heaven. That's where he went. He went, he went to prayer. He went to, to fasting. Rather than just gut level, quick react, he sought the Lord on this. I cannot overstate enough the importance of this passage. This is the key to, to everything else that comes after it. There are far more needs right around us at any given time than any of us could meet. Far more needs. And every day, we're continually introduced to more and more and more. Where do you start? Start with prayer. Start with prayer. So I I want to do a little therapy for you. Free charge here today. Some therapy. I invite you to repeat after me. There are times when it's okay to say, my thoughts and prayer are, are with you. Let's do that again. Because right now there's a whole lot of people like, you never should say that with thoughts and prayers, you should do more. No, there are times when... There, <laughs> that's right. I was ahead of myself even, thank you, Mindy. <laughs> there are times <laughs> when it's okay to say, my thoughts and prayers are with you. But then here's the thing, it's not okay to say that all the time. Can I give an amen to that? It's not okay to say that all the time. There are some times when it's sure better than not having the prayers with them. But it's not okay to say that all the time. There are times when that 
thing that's wrecking you, there's a chance that you are being called upon to be the answer to prayer, to be part of that response, to be part of what God is doing in Jesus' name. If your thoughts and prayers are sincere, there will be times when those prayers lead to more. They lead to more than just sincerely reaching out to God and interceding. You know, I think everybody here has probably seen something at some time where we're like, somebody should do something about this. Yeah, and who might that somebody be? It might be you. It might be you. As you're praying about getting involved, if you want to make a real impact, one of the best next steps, now I'm introduced to something, I'm introduced to something that's wrecking me. Um, if you are starting to move then from introduced to engaged, it's to partner with people. So that's that's the next one I encourage you to do. To, to not just try to get out there and do this alone. Partner with people. Chances are there's somebody else out there already engaged in this. Find a partner in this. Partner with people who share your passion. After days of praying and fasting and asking God for help, God opened a door. The king could see there was something was off with Nehemiah, and he said, Nehemiah, what's wrong? And Nehemiah was prepared for that moment. He fired up another quick prayer, and he spoke with graciousness, with conviction, and with tact. If you have a hard word to bring to somebody, especially somebody in authority, I want to invite you to follow Nehemiah's example. Present your case with prayer, with graciousness, and with tact. This is an example we see often in Scripture ending well. It's what Esther did with King Xerxes. It's what Joseph did with the Pharaoh of Egypt. And one of the reasons I'm pausing on this is because so often in our culture today, people are so quick to justify their outrage, aren't they? And they act in these outrageous ways. You don't change hearts with a mob. You you don't. You harden hearts when you turn into that mob mentality. Try. Try your methodology. Pray. Graciousness tact. It won't always work, but you sure got a lot better chance if you do. All right, back to Nehemiah. Every vision requires a visionary, and Nehemiah had the vision that came out of a time of deep prayer and extended fasting. And what did he do? He shared that vision with others. This is Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, Okay, you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let, what's the next word? Let us, not I'm going to go fix this, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. The scope of this project was enormous. In fact, there is a whole lot of Nehemiah that is dedicated to this person did this, and this person did this, and this person did this, and this person did this. Nehemiah, he mobilized donors, he engaged stakeholders in the construction, and page after page in the book of Nehemiah details, list after list of who did what. Restoration was truly a team effort. As you partner with others in an important cause, whether you're the leader of a brand new team or whether you are brand new to the team, a vital next step now, if you've moved into engaged, if you want to start getting more effective, adopt a learning posture. I want to invite you to write this down. True, that, I mean, hearing all these things, I thought, learning posture. Come in and learn. Rather than come in and, here's what you need. Come in with a learning posture. How many of you have a show of hands? And it might feel silly if you're doing this online, but I might invite you to do this. How many of you have a show of hands? Have you ever seen people, they want to help and they're not helpful? <laughs> I remember um, hearing some good, about some good intention do-gooders. They wanted to help a village. 
They wanted to help this village by, um, by helping them to create their own sustainable food supply. So these are great intentions. So what did they do? They planted a bunch of tomato plants in this village, which apparently attract hippos. So now the village still had a sustainable food problem. What else did they have a problem with? Hungry, hungry hippos coming into the village. What did we learn earlier? We learned this. There is no simple or immediate way to discern the right response without a what? Without a relationship. Before Nehemiah got to work, he adopted a learning posture. We see him going out there and he's actually physically inspecting the walls. He, he also, you see, he's having these conversations with, with other people. He's listening to the concerns of the people. And that brings us then to our next milestone. If you want to level up, if you want to become more and more effective over the long run, these next two words are so key also. Serve and empower. Don't just do for, partner with. Serve and empower. There are times when Nehemiah, he needed to call people out. We see this in there. Now, don't always follow this example because there's a time he just yanks the beard right out of this person. That you, just, you don't do that. <laughs> you don't do that. But there are times he had to call people up because the things they were doing were actually working against what they were trying to do. Serve, empower. When you're serving others, when you're empowering them, you're helping people to move forward with ownership. You're helping people move forward with dignity. And that is where you see lives transformed. Lives transformed. And there is nothing like that. Being a part of that, where it's not you, it's God working through you and all these other people. And you get to be a part of watching a life get transformed. So, that's when this next milestone comes in and the steps that come with it. The next milestone is advocate. You naturally become an advocate when you see these great things happening. And as you become an advocate, look for ways to inspire others to partner with you. The keys to becoming this effective advocate are, one, to really believe in what you're doing so you can speak with authenticity. And number two, as I mentioned earlier, you want to inspire people to to come with you because guilt is a low-octane fuel. All right, so there is a you know quick flyover of the pathway. And as we begin to bring this teaching to a close, let me share something about this continuum that we're on, something about this continuum. You don't have to be a Nehemiah to do this. You don't, you don't have to be someone who's got the ear of a king. You don't have to be Richard Stearns. Richard Stearns, you know what his job was before he became the president of, of uh, World Vision? He was a CEO of this huge company. You don't, you don't have to have those resources and, and that skill. Because ultimately, this is God's work. This is who he is. He's inviting us into it. You can be retired. You can be a busy mom. You can be a 20-something college kid who just lost his dad and was putting himself through college. Why do I say that? Because that was my situation in 1989. Shortly after I lost my dad, I had to look for work, and I found this job opening at a gospel mission in Minneapolis called the Marie Sandvik Center. We've even got some pictures here. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because the idea of a reach-out continuum, I had never heard of this. I had never heard, okay, here's the pathway that you go on. This isn't even on my radar. But that summer, trying to follow Jesus, just naturally followed me along that. I got introduced to these needs. I'm like, I wanted to help people, so I was curious and listening and learning. I got engaged, and God used a country kid 
to be effective in a very different situation. And as I'm seeing lives getting changed, of course, I want to tell others about it. So we go to the next two pictures. This one's really embarrassing, one of these. I got my Z calves there, my mint tie. Oh, man. That's me. The reason, only reason I'm showing that is not to show off my fashion by any means. But I'm, but I'm uh, standing next to Doris Nye. She's one of the people who helped found the uh, center there. And the two guys there are guys. One of them was my buddy Chris, who I recruited from Bethel. And then he recruited a buddy of his named Tony because we saw what God was doing and we wanted people to be a part of it. And then the really small group there, because we didn't have zoom lenses on my little cameras back in the day, that's a group from a church called Wooddale, a church on the other side of the town, which at that time I was in, I had been interning there. It was this incredibly wealthy church in Eden Prairie. And I said, Hey, I didn't say, Hey, incredibly wealthy church on that side of town. I said, Hey, you who I was interning with, why don't you come and help us out? Because I believed what God was doing there, and I knew that these were people of means. So, my point is this. Nobody had to challenge me to become an advocate. No one had to say, here's how you become an advocate. This process is just how God works. If we sincerely step out in faith, and we start engaging real needs from a place of humility, and a desire to serve Him and care for people. This continuum we're talking about, it's not the kind of program that somebody dreamed up in an ivory tower that plays Chick-fil-A house music and has got framed art with Bible verse on the wall. It's not, it's not like that. It's, 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 it's the real thing. This is just what happens when we bring, this is, maybe I can put it like this. This is bringing words to how the Holy Spirit changes us as he changes the world around us as we step out to follow him. I recently heard someone say this. They said there are things that we're obligated to that we also benefit from. I love that saying. It's so true, and this is one of those things. We're obligated to do this. You're a follower of Jesus. You want to follow an example, we do this. We also benefit from it. We benefit from it. The Holy Spirit transforms us as we do the work of transformation. If you said yes to Jesus and was sincere, I invite you then to pray. I invite you to partner with others in something that matters. Adopt that learning posture. Focus on serving and empowering others. And you're going to find yourself making a real and substantive impact. And you're also then going to want to, you're going to find yourself wanting to tell other people about it. Serving on the board of the Children's Home in Juarez, helping our teens here, it's not in my job description. It's something that I can't not do. I can't not do. Serving on the, yeah, as I mentioned. So here's, here's a challenge. This might sound, Counterintuitive, but stick with me on this. Don't settle for a form of selfishness that isn't in your self-interest. There's a form of selfishness that a lot of people settle for, the classic selfishness. It's all about me, 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 me. But it's usually about self, um, just superficial things. I want to encourage you, go after a deeper form of selfishness where you're targeting your deepest needs. You can target that one because that's the kind of one that brings ultimate glory to God. I want to challenge you to do that. Consider a higher form of selfishness. Experience what it's like to have that deep satisfaction of, God, you just did this and I got to be a part of it. That was so cool. And here's another thing. The tangible stuff, building walls, constructing a school, that's really just a temporary start. Because what happened to Nehemiah's wall eventually? It got knocked back down by the Romans, right? 
hundreds of years later. What can happen to a school that you spent 60 years building in Juarez? You can get burned down in a fire. As an Easter people, we know there's a life beyond this one. So we don't have to worry about storing up treasures on earth where fire destroys and powerful people can take what isn't theirs. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And as we're helping people alleviate temporary pain and and suffering, which is so important, we can also point them to a world that isn't passing away like this one. We can anchor to a foundation that cannot be shaken. We got joy and chaos. We got a peace that makes no sense. As an Easter people, we can do more than help people fill their stomachs, as important as that is, because their stomachs are going to get hungry again. We can do more than help people find a shelter, because as important as that is, there's an eternal home that we long for. We're going to seal our time together with an anthem. And this is an anthem that we're going to close our Easter Sunday service with. I want to invite you to join your voices with the voices of the worship band and proclaim these truths. This song gives language to the promises that Easter people anchor to, the hope that we have. This song bears witness to what we're saying yes to when we say yes to Jesus. Well, before we seal our time together with a song, let's seal it also with a question and a commitment. Here's the question. What's your next step? And that is not a rhetorical question. That is a question. What is your next step? As you're looking at this continuum, where are you roughly? What does a next step look like for you? Nehemiah put it like this. Nehemiah 9, uh, 38 says, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in what? In writing. So this is not a rhetorical question. Today, now would be a good time even. Pray, write, what's my next step? There's a world that needs you and you need the world in that way to become the people that God is shaping you to be. If you're not sure, reach out to us. Let us know. Go to man.church slash next. Say, hey, I would like help with this next step. We would love to suggest and talk about some different partners. Emmanuel Children's Home in Juarez. The Compassion Clinic, which is just around the corner. We have people engaged in homeless ministry, refugee ministry. We would love to, to have that conversation with you. Just let us know. Well, let's pray. And then I challenge you, if you're watching online, hit pause. Before the song comes, pray. Write down the next step. Even if the next step is, reach out to us. Here we go, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you call us to substantive lives. We thank you that, that you desire to do, have moments like this that wake us up from lives that could spend years and years and years of just being carried along by things that ultimately don't matter in a world that in this form is passing away. Wake us up now, Holy Spirit. Give us a next step that is fueled by you rather than something else. And help us to find a role that we can play in the work that you're doing, this work that ultimately is in our own best self-interest as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen.